Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> Hi there, obsessives. How are you this week? And how are you, Becky? I am excellent, thank you. Apart from the fact it's hot. Oh my goodness. I went to the Vic Markets this morning. I almost died. Yeah, no, I haven't even been outside. I'm not going to. I don't think I'll be going outside for the rest of the day. Why? I think, I think we're safe here. Um, I think we could go somewhere cool. Yeah, we could go somewhere cool. Perhaps somewhere like England. Yeah. Perhaps somewhere like Yorkshire. Now that sounds nice. And tonight's story is from Yorkshire. It certainly is. It's the story of... The Cottingley Fairies. Yay! One of my favourite themes. Yay! So, this story begins in 1917 with a nine-year-old girl called Frances Griffiths who was in trouble for playing in the beck near the family home and getting her shoes and dress wet. And um, I'll just add that the beck is a stream. Frances was distressed. The house she lived in in Cottingsley on the outskirts of Bradford, Yorkshire, had been seething with tension for quite some time. Mm. And the family was constantly dancing on the edge of a breakdown. And something as trivial as wet shoes could cause problems. Frances had only recently moved to England with her mother and father from Cape Town, South Africa. They had spent most of Frances's childhood in South Africa until her Sergeant Major father was called up to fight in the Boer War and it was decided that she and her mother would stay with her aunt, uncle and cousin in Yorkshire. Elsie was a teenager. She was around 15 or 16 and she worked. Oh, I didn't know that. She did. She'd left school at 13. And even though she wasn't academically smart, she was very clever in other ways. She was extremely artistic mm. and she had a lot of mechanical intelligence. Just father, like her father. Yeah. yeah. And so Elsie was a bit of a blue stocking, which was very different from the type of girl that Frances was used to in South Africa. And the Wright family home was working class and it was also a very small house. So they lived a very different lifestyle to the one that Frances was used to. Frances and her mother no longer had the great mansion and servants they were used to, but Cottingley, Frances soon found out, had something better. <laughs> a meadow 
and a stream that looked like something out of a fairy tale illustration. Frances spent many, many hours near the stream, playing by herself and making up stories. It enabled her to escape the increasingly claustrophobic, claustrophobic atmosphere of the house and the barely concealed hostility of her uncle, Arthur Wright, who clearly did not enjoy the further crowding of his little home. Mm. Frances was also horribly worried about her father away in the war. So, on this particular day in 1917, the adults of the house were confronting Frances about her wet shoes and dress and on her insistence on spending time near the stream where she'd been forbidden to go. It was then that Francis uttered the words that would change <laughs> so many lives. And, and be the subject were, of such debate. And yes, and these words were simply, I go to see the fairies. <laughs> Such simple words, but these words made an explosion in, in quite a few people's lives. Now, you think about it, so many times in children's lives, they will say something like that. They'll blame yeah. something that they perhaps have done wrong on fairies or their imaginary friend. Yes. Or whatever, Santa Claus even. Um, but in this particular instance, it took on a bit of a life, didn't it? It took on an uncontrollable <laughs> life of its own. And it was not necessarily the fault of Francis or the girl or either of the girls involved. It was I think it was just a series of events. I don't think it was It was a series of events. So Francis said, I go to see the fairies, and the adults behaved in the expected way. So laughing at Frances, tutting over her overactive imagination. And then 16-year-old Elsie suddenly spoke up and said that Frances was telling the truth <laughs> and that she, Elsie, had also seen the fairies. Now, way to go. This is, this is a definite bonding moment, her backing it Elsie. totally yeah, is. Elsie backing Frances was a nice moment. It was. It was an older girl basically going, hey, don't pick on my little yeah. cousin, back off. Yeah. So they're bonding, they're, you know, creating this little army against the adult. I wonder if there was something more behind Elsie backing Francis because they were such different ages and of different emotional maturities. It's quite unusual that she would do that, I would have thought. Well, I think that the household at this time was under a lot of stress. There were a lot of anxieties. The adults weren't necessarily getting along. I mean, it could be that Elsie just wanted to make the family laugh. And now that's very possible. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think she just wanted to bring everybody together and have a little bit of fun. Yeah, that makes sense. And stand up for her little <laughs> So... Frances and Elsie, despite sharing a bedroom, had not had a great deal to do with each other at this point. As I said before, Elsie was a teenager and she worked for a photographer. 
assisting in retouching photos. Mm. And a lot has been made of this. However, Elsie has always said that she only worked there briefly and she wasn't much more than an assistant. So she was a very talented artist and sometimes made wonderful copies of the illustrations in Francis's storybooks. She was particularly good at drawing fairies. <laughs> Elsie had always been kind and accommodating towards Francis, but she was often at work and she was just an intimidating older girl. So Frances was surprised and thrilled that her cousin was back Yeah, I was about to say, that would have been a really thrilling moment for a younger child. It would yeah. have been, yeah. And Elsie even asked her father, who was a keen amateur photographer, <laughs> if she could borrow his camera and provide them with proof. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Now, Arthur kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Arthur Wright, Elsie's father. He's, he's just such um, a cliche, isn't yes. he? Yes. Kind of Edwardian era father. He's, he's like Mr. Banks <laughs> in Mary Poppins. That is the you know, perfect those... visual. Yeah. That, that is perfect, actually, Heidi. <laughs> he, he's kind of like that, you know, the, that father who's like, oh, no, we shall have no whimsy yeah. in this house. <laughs> Which immediately yeah. would make me want to be whimsical. It would, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, although he must have been, uh, you know, quite a clever man. He was, I believe, one of the first qualified electricians oh. ever. So, I know. All right. Well, now, he was not enthusiastic about lending his camera. To it's not girls. like it is later on where cameras are a dime a dozen. C cameras back then were quite no. rare, very expensive and very complicated yeah. instruments. Absolutely. So, the th yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thought of them being silly yes. with his camera. Yes. Would, you know, that <laughs> you wouldn't really want that. I mean, I, I can only imagine how much pay would have to go towards a working class man owning his absolutely. own camera. Absolutely. And a dark room in the summer. Mm. You know, he, he probably would have invested a lot of money. In this hobby. Absolutely. So it was quite a leap of um, faith, love, kindness, whatever, to let that water, or, or, oh. or needing to have a quiet house. <laughs> Here, take the camera, leave me alone for 10 minutes. I don't want to hear anything more about fairies. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? That's kind of how I imagine it. Yes. Be gone and don't come back until you're less silly. <laughs> Go on then, if you insist there's fairies, prove it. <laughs> so, soon Elsie and Francis were traipsing off to the meadow with his quarter plate midge camera. And um, when they returned home, <laughs> they begged Arthur to develop their film immediately. Which immediately would have made me suspicious that they were up to something. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, they were extremely excited. And apparently Elsie was standing be standing behind him in the dark room going, can you see it? Can you see it? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, I think 
Elsie was quite a was quite a mischievous girl. She's quite cheeky. I really like the sound of her. I mean, I like both of them. I like both Elsie and Francis, but I think that Elsie uh, is a bit of a kindred spirit. And, yes, I can see that, and I can also um, see how Elsie would have been leading all of this, and Francis oh, yes. just being like you know the impressionable young girl, just so thrilled that the older working uh, cousin was paying attention to her, would have just gone along for the ride. Oh, she would have had so much fun. Yeah. Imagine having, imagine being nine or ten and having an older cousin who who does this. Who could spy with you? Yeah. It would be really yes. fun. It would be. So, the first photo that was developed is the most famous one, and shows Frances with the Beck behind her and a cloud of dancing fairies with wings in front of her. Now. There's quite a few fairies in this one. There is. Actually, the most fairies are in this one. Do you know what strikes me the most about this photo, actually, is just how aesthetically pleasing it is, regardless. It's a beautiful photo. Yeah. Yeah, look, it is. We do have to, I mean, not taking away anything from Elsie, I believe this may have been the first photograph she ever took. I'm not quite sure about that, but... The we we don't actually ever see the original because it was touched up. It not touched up, but it was uh, cleaned up a lot. Okay, they do yeah, have the so original plate. Did clean it. The original they, plate does yeah, exist. They, I'd be interested to see that. Yes, it's very very hard to find it. It's even hard to find it online. Okay, um, the original picture wasn't as impressive as the one that we all know okay um the fairies were a little bit smudgy um you can see um the work that the professionals did afterwards to sharpen the focus and right and you know clear some of the noise i mean it is an impressive photo if you consider it's probably the first photo she ever took and you can see if you consider you know the creativity that went into it, but no, it, it isn't the image that we that we all know. That's and love, interesting. That's really interesting. I'm appreciative. Yeah. I'm um, also that also adds to the potential belief of the photograph because when we look at the one that we know now, yeah. we can look at it and go, "Oh, come on, clearly." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if it hadn't been such quality, yes. mm, yeah, it's like the whole absolutely. how we use a soft focus on any picture we put on Instagram mm-hmm. to blur the reality. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, so the fairy figures were not as clear at first glance um, as as the famous photo that we know. Mm. So Arthur was not taken in and he was absolutely not impressed. And it's really hard for us now to believe that a parent wouldn't be impressed by this creativity. True. But it was a different time. True. He went so far as to lead an examination of the creek to find evidence of how they did it. Yes. <laughs> he had a bit of a although, poke on Although they actually did that a bit later. It was a month later that they took the second photo. So it's commonly thought that they took the two first photos one day. They were actually taken a month apart. And this is when Arthur got really cranky. He did not like the second photo at all, at all 
It was his daughter, Elsie, holding the hand of a tiny little Uh goblin man. And he obviously thought it was creepy. He thought it just looked wrong. And he forbade the girls from ever touching his camera again. Uh And the two pictures went straight into the drawer. (laughs) Now, this was when uh, the parents hunted around. As you said, they hunted around the creek and um, Elsie's mother, Polly, and Frances's mother, Annie, um, hunted around the girls' room looking for these pictures, looking for these drawings, but they couldn't find them. And it's, it's, it was really interesting to me that their thought wasn't, oh, how clever these girls are for taking these photos. Isn't that cute? It was they've been deceitful. Yeah, and, and, and the girls were so adults. adamant about it that the parents yes. thought they had to, you know, disprove it, which is really, if you think about, you know, how you would handle it now, you wouldn't even engage on that level. You'd go, oh, you're being silly, stop it. So the photos are in the drawer. The family's almost forgotten about them. Every now and then the girls will, will bring up the subject and they'll talk about these fairies, but it's more to tease the adults. <laughs> And it's more out of defiance because I think they were a little bit miffed that that their practical joke hadn't been, you know, received the way that they wanted it mm. to be received. They put a lot of effort into and it and so, it was really clever. I know. And it wasn't appreciated. So every now and again they would say, well, there was really fairies. You didn't believe <laughs> us. Well, now let's fast forward to 1920. Ah, yes. So three years later, so Polly and Annie, the mother and aunt, are very active in the Theosophical Society. As a lot of people were at that time. It's not the anomaly that it would be now. No, it's not. It it was quite a fashionable thing Mm. to do. And this particular lecture that the sisters were at was a lecture about fairies. And Polly happens to casually mention two photographs that her daughter and niece had taken three years previously. And she's just telling this as an anecdote. We don't know if she's actually bragging or actually saying, oh, well, my daughter and niece can see fairies. This was just some some story she was telling, but she's overheard. And this sparks the chain of events that will completely overturn the lives of everyone. Absolutely. First of all, what was the Theosophical Society? Well, they were simply put a spiritualist society and um, looking for what it was that they believed in, um, they had a belief that humanity has a cycle of evolution and that supernatural creatures like fairies were a sign of the next cycle mm-hmm. of evolution. And uh, the theosophists put an emphasis on mystical experience 
So they believed that direct contact with this spiritual reality can be established through invitation or meditation or some kind of activity that transcends normal human consciousness. And they took this very seriously. Very, very seriously. It was basically a kind of religion. More seriously than you and I take this kind of thing, Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yes, this was not this was not some casual um you know we we feel a bit hippie at the moment. Yeah. Thing this this was um it, a it, well it was an extension to, to the existing people. the existing religious beliefs. It wasn't like so oh, now yeah. you often find that people who are very much into um uh, these kinds of things aren't so much religious. I think I could yeah. be wrong. But then it was a very pragmatic addition to their existing centuries-old beliefs. Yes, and there were quite a few people who um, were involved in science Yeah, who were also involved yeah. in uh, theosophical beliefs and they used science to justify these mystical yeah. beliefs and especially when the X-ray was invented. Because the idea was, okay, now we have this equipment, this technology that can see through Mm. a human body. So maybe there's other technology like a camera that can see things, other things that the human eye can't see. So, And they also believed that children operated at a higher vibrational frequency and that mystical beings were more attracted to children and were more likely to show themselves to children. So these people were extremely ready for these photos, Mm. as you can imagine. Absolutely. Yes. So Polly brought the photos to the next meeting And they were a hit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Their friends in the society believed that these photos were absolutely of supernatural beings and that Elsie and Francis were not pranksters, but very intuitive young people. The original indigo child. Yes, indigo children. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the theosophists. They were... Mm. They were kind of the maybe the starting point of that indigo. Yeah, child I think so. Belief. Oh my gosh! And also, that's so interestingly yeah, enough, that's the same period of time where people started to actually see children very, very differently to how they had previously. Oh, yeah. There was always like a, 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 I mean, people loved their children without doubt, but because of the high death rate, there was a certain acceptance yeah. that they just yeah. they churned through them, right? They were, but yes. during the Victorian era and then here. Um, people very much started to appreciate children for their own worth and their own value. They got quite interested in children. And do you know what? You can see that in children's literature. Yes. Because before that, there weren't really a lot of storybooks that were aimed at, at you know, they weren't really aimed at children. Uh, you know, the people writing them weren't really writing them for that audience. And it's not until, you know, around the early 1900s that you see these books appearing 
that are actually written with the enjoyment in of mind. children in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, that aren't just, you know, little Polly went to hell. <laughs> Were the horrible thumb. morality tales. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yes, Elsie and Francis, intuitive young people. They could act as a conduit to another world. Mm. And that the fairies had fashionable I was going to mention that. <laughs> I'm really yeah. amazed that the and fairies... chic 1920s <laughs> flapper dresses <laughs> didn't throw doubt on their authenticity at all. Neither did their similarity to some illustrations from the Princess Mary gift book, a best-selling children's book at the time that happened to be one of Francis's favourite books. All of these things were explained away by the idea that fairies manifested in the image that the viewer wanted to see them in. So obviously these fairies were very fashionable young 1920s because women the girls because were. there were young girls. That's what the young girls wanted to see and that's mm. how they appeared to them. They so apply an awful lot of thought and reasoning to it all, don't they? This yes. It's not um, airy-fairy, um, light uh, contemplations. They, they deeply consider everything and examine everything. Oh, so very, very big. Very big into examining. Very serious. Very serious. So now we introduce a very serious guy called oh. Edward Gardner. And Edward Gardner was a prominent member of the Theosophical Society and a celebrated writer and lecturer. He was so excited by these photographs that he asked to borrow the glass plate negatives. And he took them to a photography expert called Harold Snelling. Snelling concluded that the photographs were not fakes. Now, by not fakes, he's not saying that he believes that they're actually fairies. What he's saying is that they were single exposure shots mm. and that they hadn't been doctored yeah. in any way. So, you know, there hadn't been any markings or, or paint done on the, on the glass negatives. There hadn't been any Edwardian era Photoshop, basically. So he said, um, these are straightforward photographs of whatever was in front of the camera at <laughs> the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes to show sometimes the simplest um, yes. fraud is the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the photos were cleaned up, prints were made, and Gardner spread the photos widely so basically they went viral <laughs> so just imagine that you're a kid you throw together something on photoshop you think well that's kind of cool you put it online nobody looks at looks at it for two or three years then some celebrity puts mm. it on twitter and suddenly you've got news outlets wanting to talk to you yeah that, that's probably the context which actually has happened several times in our era. Yes, yes. 
And so it was happening to these girls, you know, back in 1920. So this would have been a good three years after they'd taken the photographs. So by yes. now, Frances would be a tween and Elsie would be, you know, he- heading into her 20s. I wonder yeah, if they sort of panicked and thought, oh, no, it's come back and they're serious. Yes. We were joking yes. and everyone is suddenly really serious about this. Absolutely. That is exactly what they were thinking. <laughs> So now we get to one of the most famous people in the story. Enter Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And a so, prolific mm, writer. Yeah. Very, very respected intellect. Absolutely. And very no, celebrated to be quite intellect. pragmatic too. Oh, extremely so. Extremely pragmatic, but there was another side to him. There was, but he approached that quite pragmatically. So one of the things that sort of happened after the First World War is that there was a marked interest in spiritualism. The magnitude of loss was beyond perhaps anything we can understand with our own lifetimes. England alone suffered the loss of about one million souls leaving no one untouched by bereavement, whether it be their own or the support of others who had lost so profoundly. It was just a horrific loss. We we can't imagine this at all, Heidi. No. Um, One million. I think it was 40 million worldwide died, but but for England alone it was one million. So Mm. there was no escaping this very profound, deep societal sadness. So the writer Susie Grogan states, a hundred years on, we can look at it as perhaps a cultural response to mass bereavement. And that's a, a, a commonly held belief that the sudden interest in spiritualism and its strengthening in society and its normalising and becoming the accepted norm was a response to this mass bereavement and people wanting comfort, wanting answers. Mm. It's actually quite... Sad. So Conan Doyle had always been fascinated by spiritualism. But, of course, with World War I, he had horrendous losses himself. Mm. He lost his son from a war-inflicted illness. He lost his brother. He also, his two brothers-in-laws and two of his nephews died shortly afterwards. And so it's wrong to say that uh, all those deaths created an interest for him. But I think we can safely say that they certainly exacerbated his interest. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. And do you think that people maybe thought that the traditional church had let them down a bit? Um, See... I don't know about that. I, I think I think they wanted and they added an extra layer to their uh-huh. current. I don't think it ever replaced their existing belief systems. I think it actually sort of enhanced it. For, uh, Conan Doyle actually said a quote, which is, mm-hmm. every spiritualist whom I know is convinced that Christ is the highest of spirits. So they were still very, very Christian. They just believed in a... Uh, an evolving Christianity. They just oh. they perceived it differently, and that's happened all the all the while through history. People have reinvented uh, religion, and I think that's what they were doing. It wasn't separate to their their beliefs; it was enhanced. Oh, that's a different perspective. 
for me. I didn't oh, really? think of it that way. Oh, how no, I didn't. Okay. I I was thinking of it as um, you know, people losing their faith in uh, you know, the the formal Christian church and saying, Well, I don't want to be an atheist. Oh, really? So, yeah. That's yeah, no, that's not how I've read it. I've always read yeah. it. But I mean I didn't I may be putting my own projections into it, obviously. Yeah. All historical research is subjective to your own understandings. And interestingly enough, I hope you don't mind me saying for the podcast, but I am religious and you're not. Mm, so yes. it's just interesting, maybe perhaps our own perception of this history has diverted according to our own subjective beliefs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was I was actually watching this really lovely lecture online um, by a guy called, and I've got his name here, let's see, ah, Merrick Burrow, and he's from the University of Huddersfield, and he actually has this beautiful lecture online, if you ever want to find it, on um, Arthur Conan Doyle and the Cottingley Fairies, and um he mentioned that Annie, Francis's mother, actually said that um, the Theosophical Society is what saved her from atheism. Oh, really? Yeah. So maybe, maybe okay. Annie was a bit like me. Maybe, maybe. I'm just going to go back to Conan for a second because one, Conan Doyle, yeah. sorry, for one second. Because um, as you know, he wrote, I can't remember what the essay was, it was a book, but. Um, he believed that spiritualism was a new revelation sent by God to bring solace to the bereaved. So, okay, this is this is really interesting to me. I wish we'd done more research on this, actually, specifically Heidi, because we're very much winging it now. I think yes. with our own, yeah. But that's that, but that makes it interesting. That's fine. Yeah. But um, I I feel that they felt that Christianity wasn't enough. But I don't know that it, maybe it could have turned them to atheism without this extra layer of understanding. So, for example, again, to bring it to my own experience, yeah. I don't believe in a traditional Christian um, church-based religion. My religion is a new interpretation of that again. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I couldn't believe in that. Right? Yeah. Maybe that's what it was with the extra layer I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was a layered thing rather than a different thing. I don't know. But it's it's very interesting to research and I don't know that it's particularly a well-discussed part of history. No. I mean, it's it definitely sounds like a later show. I, you know, I was just it thinking the same. It does. All right, Hobsessions. Obviously, <laughs> now you've seen what happens to us right now. Yes. We started with one Hobsession and then mid-podcast we immediately shot to a new obsession. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. Oh, gosh. But you know what? Um, going back to Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. this wasn't his only um, experience with this kind of photography because he had actually had um, a spirit photo taken. Oh, did he really? He did. He had... That was, the, um, that was the, quite the trendy thing. You know how now everyone wants their photograph taken in front of like butterfly wings yes. on Instagram? That was the thing then. But he had a photo taken with the spirit of his son. Oh, really? Yeah. So... Now, see, oh, this is where I'm always torn with these kinds of things. Yeah. I know for myself, um, I, 
if I reflect that when I have had great grief and lost someone very, very close to me, I definitely start to look more towards the spiritual and the supernatural because you kind of, it, it creates some kind of comfort and connection. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so to me, often with especially modern day mediums, I think oh, it's cruel to trick someone or deceive someone. Yeah. Hell, if it gives them comfort, you know? Yeah. And, and um, strangely enough, that photograph that he had taken with his son was what cost him his friendship. One of the things that cost him his friendship with Harry Houdini because they they yeah. both had very different ideas about about spirit photography. But our but, old but, mate, but meanwhile, yes. they they had so many uh, similar yeah. beliefs too. It's just a shame. Yeah, but our old mate Yates, he had spirit. He had a spirit photograph done. Of course he did. Of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the names of his um of his wife's. Uh, Mediums there was it leaf apple and I can't leaf, remember. Apple, oh, I forget. did they appear? <laughs> no, I don't know who appeared with him. To be honest. <laughs> so, when Arthur Conan Doyle heard news of the fairy photographs, he was desperate for them to be real, like really desperate. Mm. This guy loved fairies. He was about to go to Australia for a lecture tour. So he asked Edward Gardiner to go to Cottingley for more proof of the existence of fairies. Now, Gardner, they really set up proper scientific, uh, well, of the day uh, parameters for this, didn't they? They tried. They tried. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, Edward Gardner had had his own glass plates that he gave the girls for them right. to use. You know, yeah, and his own they, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, See, he they, they went to cameras. the immediate of elaborate hoax. Meanwhile, the girls were just. It goes to show the simplest deceptions are always the best. I know, I know. <laughs> so Gardner happily obliged. He went to Yorkshire with two cameras to give the girls. And by this time, Francis was 11, Elsie was 18, and they were well in over their heads. Yes. This is that moment yeah. where you go, oh, shit, what have I done? Yeah. Okay. You want more photos? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was we'll so much the lark now for them. <laughs> so when Gardner turned up with the Camerons, they felt that their only options were to produce more. Though, of course, they had to do it alone. The fairies would not appear with an adult hanging around. That's right. <laughs> and, and being also, indigo children, who's, who's going to argue yes, with them? Exactly. And, and um, Frances wasn't actually there at first. She was. She and her mother were living elsewhere at that time. Yeah, they brought her back and, for um, it. And yes, and Elsie refused to do it without her. She said, oh, no, they'll only, they'll only appear when we're together. So, <laughs> they'll only you know, appear in a full moon on the, on the 13th of January. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We've all been in this situation, man. I'm actually really feeling totally. for them. <laughs> totally. So the final three photos were taken that day. So there's a photo of Elsie and one fairy. 
one of Francis, and again, one fairy, and one very mysterious photo that we'll talk about later. Yeah. So they, they only had one fairy each this time because... Well, they didn't know, have they as were, much time, really. They didn't have as much time. Maybe the fairies were off playing with other little girls by now and thinking, no, you're too old for us now. Yes. We need younger well, indigo well, children. That, that is the excuse that they used. They said, we're getting older. Oh, did the they? They did. They, they said, really oh, did so... dig deep to try and get they themselves did. out of it, didn't they? They did. And they said, <laughs> oh, you know, they... The fairies, are, they're not, they don't really like us that much anymore. We're getting a bit too old. Which and is probably a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, we're, yeah. we're all too grown up for this now. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that, <laughs> Mr. Gardner, Mr. Doyle. <laughs> so their joke of, their joke of, uh, years ago had taken a distressing turn they just wanted it all to go away <laughs> and they were determined that these photos would be the last the photos were published in strand magazine to accompany an article by conan doyle and the girls became quite famous this is like getting retweeted names. on twitter by Beyonce or something because yes. the Strand had a very big circulation. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, was it, oh, how much? Half a million. Half a million. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so the more they're trying to extricate, extricate themselves from this, the deeper they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, um, it's getting too much. It's just getting too much for them. And um, something that I actually found really interesting was a set of interviews that you can find on YouTube after after some hunting around. Um, they're not the they're not the first to come up. You actually do have to look for them for quite a while, but they're of Francie and Elsie as elderly women, mm. and they are actually talking about the lengths that people went to to believe what they were saying. Yeah, see, I can understand that. Yeah. And there's a, so a certain poignant beauty in that that people want there is. so badly. Yeah. There is. And and Elsie, as an, as an older lady, um, is saying in this video, we never even thought of it being a fraud. It was just Elsie and I having a bit of fun. Yeah. And I can't understand it till this day. Why people were taken in. They wanted to be taken in. Yeah. Because people often say, don't you feel ashamed that you've mm. made all these poor people look fools? They believed in you. But I don't because they wanted to believe. And then she holds up one of the photographs and says, look at this photograph. That fairy's all out of drawing. Yeah. That leg doesn't belong to that fairy. And somebody <laughs> pointed it out in the newspaper. And one of our dear believers said, well, fairies aren't like humans. They oh. haven't got bodies like we have with skeletons oh. and arms and legs. They're sort of put with thought. And sometimes it doesn't come out right. We didn't have to tell a lie about it at all. 
because someone always came and justified. Yeah. And Which that's, is, that's straight from Elsie. And that's a phenomenon that is right through history. Francis. The confirmation. Francis, yeah. That's the phenomenon right through history, the, the confirmation bias. You, you yeah. will go to any length to support your own belief, ideology, yeah. religion, yeah. anything. Hmm. And, I mean, there was even um, the picture of the goblin. It was actually quite obvious yeah. that there was a hat pin stuck in the goblin to, to help it stand up. Yeah. And Arthur Conan Doyle explained this away by saying, well, it, it's from the umbilical cord. <laughs> they have umbilical cords like we do. Did he so really? Like belly button. He said it. Yes, he said that. How interesting. It's it's just unbelievable, isn't it? People wanted this so, so badly. Mm. Well, some people did. There were, of course, plenty of sceptics out there and plenty of people willing to drag anybody who believed this story. And the reputations of Arthur Conan Doyle and Edward Gardner depended on the two girls keeping up the charade and the responsibility lay heavily on them. As an elderly woman, Elsie said, it was very embarrassing because, I mean, two village kids and a brilliant man like Conan Doyle, mm. we could only just keep quiet. Yeah, yeah. And she also said that the joke was to last two hours. It lasted 70 years. years. And that's the thing that does my head in the most about all of this is because what was quite a, an innocent, childish, delightful prank yeah. that would have had me laughing going, oh, okay, then I can see, okay, I believe you, there's fairies, you know, ruffle head and think how clever they are. The monstrosity that came out of it and the, the great yes. the deceit was never actually theirs. No. It was other people's adamant beliefs in it that sort of forced them as very young girls to be sort of trapped within it. Yes. Yes. And um, things got worse because um, more and more people were coming out to, to, to give proof uh, that this was what they saw as a hoax. In 1921, a statement from the Candlemakers Price and Son was published in the newspaper The Star, and they claimed that the fairies were copied from the advertisements for their nightlights. And people were also noticing the similarities between the fairies and the illustrations in the Princess Mary gift book. And that took them long enough, really, because that was a very popular book mm. at the time. So, but still, Conan Doyle continued to proclaim his belief and his book, The Coming of the Fairies, was published in 1922, complete with the photograph of Elsie and her goblin. Oh God, can you cover. imagine by this point those girls would be going, no, stop, no. Every new oh. um, adamant assertion of it would have just tortured them. Absolutely. And Elsie remembers being really distressed by a cartoon of Conan Doyle in a magazine that was mocking him. 
for believing in the fairies and she felt that it was cruel and she she felt responsible oh. so that's that's a a big weight did they ever develop any thoughts. kind of relationship conan doyle and the girls did they interact um, only by well they did have some correspondence right okay yeah, but it, it was also a lot with the parents as well. Yeah. And what's really funny, going back to Arthur Wright, Elsie's father. <laughs> Mr. Banks. You know, Mr. Yep. Banks from Mary Poppins. Um, <laughs> he, he had previously been a really big fan of Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> and then he stopped being a fan because he said, well, um, how could, you know, this great mind on this man and he's taken in by our Elsie and she was bottom of her class. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's not impressed that Arthur Conan Doyle is, is you know, championing his daughter's photos. He's like, well, I've lost respect for you. <laughs> so he had like his own Me Too moment like we've had where we've yes. had these artists or, or movie directors that we absolutely adore and then lost, you know, oh, come on, yeah. after we find out what they've done. Same yeah, thing, but so he, he, he totally ruined it for him. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, so, as will always happen, the media lost interest when no new photographs emerged and Francis and Elsie moved on with their lives. They both married had children and spent time living abroad. When asked about the fairies during their lives, they always maintained that they were real, but they didn't speak about them in any sort of detail. Conan Doyle died in 1930. And by this time, all the other players in the Cottingley scandal were almost forgotten. In 1966, interest in the Cottingley fairies resurfaced again, thanks to Daily Express journalist Peter Chambers, who discovered where Elsie was living. Elsie was very evasive in her answers. Both Elsie and Francis were interviewed a couple of times in the 1970s, where they insisted that they did not participate in a hoax. It was not until the early 80s that both women admitted to the first four pictures. Yeah. Elsie told journalist Joe Cooper that she was always bothered by the first picture. My heart always sinks when I look at it. When I think of how it's gone all around the world, I don't think, I don't know how people could believe they're real fairies. Mm. I could see the backs of them and the hat pins when the photo was being taken. And they are so obviously drawings, you know, to, to us now, to our eyes now, they are so obviously extremely beautiful, well, well done drawings. But there's not, it doesn't look like, they're real fairies. No, not at all. You've got to not feel sorry all. for all these people with high technical knowledge who went all out to try and yeah. commit frauds and the girls just drew a couple of pretty pictures and placed them there without any real intention. And that's the one everyone believed. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be a testament to their need for magic, but it could also be that 
there was that belief that the camera doesn't lie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had a different relationship to technology. Yeah, that's true. They weren't as cynical. They hadn't gone through no. the YouTube um, era where we learned how to be very, very cynical. No, no, not at all. Completely different time. Now, this is, this is where it gets a little more interesting. So both women always insisted, however, that the fifth mm-hmm. photo was not faked. And Frances maintained until the end of her life that although the fairies in four photographs were not real, that there were real fairies by the beck, by the stream, and that she had seen them many times. And now you know what? Maybe she did. Maybe she did. She insisted that until the end of her life, and there is an interview with her daughter, Christine, who as an elderly woman looks straight into the camera when she's asked, do you believe in fairies? And she says, yes, yes, I do. Hmm. And she said, yes, my mother saw fairies. The fairies in the photo weren't real, but she saw real fairies. Maybe, maybe go right to the beginning of the story. Maybe it was the fairies' fault that she got her shoes wet. Do you know, the whole thing was probably orchestrated by them. By the fairies. Well, fairies can be very mischievous. Little bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm going to segue away for one second here, Heidi, and just mention that whenever you go on holiday, whether it be up to Queensland or whenever you're on leave, suddenly magically appears mythical creatures in uh, public gardens. That is true. (laughs) <laughs> that is true. And, and I will put some of them on the Facebook page yes. because I do occasionally like to um, do some photography as a tribute to the Cottingley Fairies. So I was, that was, I was about to ask you, has that been inspired by the Cottingley Absolutely. Fairies? And oh. I, I will put them on Facebook. That's lovely. For you guys. So you can see how inspired I've been by Frances and Elsie. And whenever she's on holiday... You might want to just wander her local parks and have a look to see what fairies you can find. Yeah. Yes. Well. Well. The the fifth picture. Should we deal with the fifth picture? Well, this is... mm, I think Mm. both of them at some point said that that neither of them took that photograph. Yeah. Look, okay, the fifth picture is, is different from the others. Neither of the girls are in the picture. They both claim to have taken it. And they both claimed that those fairies were real. Now, that photo is of a dense nest of twigs. And it's kind of like a little burrow. And there are some translucent fairy shapes. Now, um, these photos were tested. And they have been shown to be double exposure. Exposure, yeah. So that is strict photography. Not perpetually girls. That would be an accidental double exposure, I'm guessing. Probably. Probably an accidental double exposure. Or maybe the father decided to have a bit of a laugh back on the girls. Do you know what? There is um, a kind of theory that's been going around... um, 
like in the last couple of years that the parents actually had a lot to do with it, but nothing that they say kind of adds up to me. Okay. And I, I dismiss that. Okay. Yeah. It's amusing so, to consider though. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the father, the Mr. Banks type, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I mean, it, it's really hard to find a motivation. I mean, they weren't doing it for money. To get um, the girls back. It's what I would do. <laughs> but this is why I'm not a very nice aunt. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. That was fun. That is the story of the Cottingley fairies. So, Heidi, do you believe in fairies? Do you know what, Becky? I think I do. So do I. Yeah. We all need fairies in our lives. We do. We all need fairies. And anyone who says that they don't, well, I feel a bit sorry for them. Yeah, yeah. I do too. We, we all need magic in our lives. Um, we I do. watched a very short YouTube video on the Cottingley fairies to get my mind back into it again. And at the end, it actually says, maybe the hoax was the final, maybe the hoax was the actual final denial and there were actually fairies all along. Well, that thought did cross my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm open-minded. Yeah, same. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's go outside and look for some fairies. Oh, maybe not in that heat, Heidi. Not in the heat, No. I think fairies I will, hide in the heat. I will dance around my indoor pot plants and summon <laughs> the fairies inside with the air conditioner on. Yeah. How about that? They, they want to be cold too, you know. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. They don't like climate change. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Hopsessives, thank you so much for joining us today. Please, if you have anything to add to the conversation, feel free to post on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook and uh, Hopsession the podcast. And Heidi, how can people support our podcast? Well, first of all, they can listen to it. They can tell their friends about it. They can subscribe. That's it. And they can maybe write us a nice review. That would be lovely. That would be so appreciated. The fairies will really. bless you. The fairies will give you much good luck if you give us a review. And they'll bite your head off if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Night, night, everyone. Happy Good night. Sensing.